0: You know, I was talking to many, many people who went to see Avengers Endgame. Anybody in the room like that? And one thing I heard, am I on here? There you go. One thing I heard over and over again is how they cried all the way through it, right? You saw, and I'm just going to tell you, that's okay, I guess. But when I think about the crimson blood of Christ who died for me, that's what's emotional for me. How about you? And when I think about his death, his resurrection, the price he paid. On my behalf, that's what's emotional, and I hope that's emotional for you today. And so we're so glad you're here today. I know we're about to get these front lights turned on, right, Cameron? We're about to get these on. And so I know this, that if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Last week, we kind of were continuing Matthew, but we kind of shifted gears and we jumped into this idea of, of really the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, when you think of a mystery, typically you think of something that's hidden or something that's unknown that is all of a sudden revealed. So, in other words, there's some truth. There you go. Now you can see. Let there be light and what? There was light, right? So, so the, the thing about the mysteries is this. It's the revealing of truth. And nobody better than Jesus taught and did things that revealed the mysteries of the kingdom like jesus in fact he did it in a lot of different ways one way he did it was through parables we talked about that last week the parable of the sower and the seed we'll talk about parables next week but another way you see in scripture that the truths of the kingdom are revealed are through some things such as the ordinances of the church what is one of the ordinances of the church that we partake in every few months what Communion, right, the Lord's Supper. Now, let's just be honest. When you talk about a mystery, that means this. There's something here that there's more than meets the eye, right? So when you take communion, and you can go back to 1 Corinthians and even read it, they just kind of thought it was a meal. They all just kind of hung out, sat at a table, and they all just started indulging. And Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and rebuked them and said, No, 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 when you take the Lord's Supper, there's more than meets the eye here. It's not just about the bread. It's not just about the juice. I mean, you are memorializing what Jesus has done for you. So that's one way we see the truths of the kingdom is through the Lord's Supper. Another way in an ordinance that we're going to observe today is through baptism, right? One of the ways that we see the truths of the kingdom is through the ordinance of baptism. And so today we're going to back up. I know we've been kind of progressing through Matthew. But if you notice, we skipped Matthew 3 and we did that on purpose because today we're going to go back there. Today we're going to go back to the baptism of Jesus. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to just kind of drill down on the event of the baptism. But at the very end, we're going to walk away with four, what I believe powerful truths, powerful things, uh, some revelation for us about baptism. every you Bible, Matthew chapter 3. You can stay seated today because we've got so much ground to cover. But I'm going to start reading the first six verses because I want us to understand what was John the Baptist's role. The guy who baptized Jesus What was his role in the kingdom? Here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he would say this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then in Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, just real quickly, I want you to understand, what was John the Baptist's role? Who was this guy and what was his role? We've talked a little bit about him because remember a few weeks back we caught John the Baptist wrestling with some serious doubt. You remember that one? He's like, you know, Jesus, are, are you really the guy here? Well, this is pre-doubt, all right? This is John the Baptist. He's on the scene. And I want you to know a couple things about it. First of all, his, his, his role was he was to preach a message of repentance, right? It says that he would go out in the wilderness and he would declare, repent. For the kingdom of God is a hand. Now I want to talk about that because I think, and I could be wrong, I'm probably not, but I could be wrong. But I think in the world we live in today, this is a word that even in church culture, we have watered down and, and marginalized the idea and the need for us as a church to repent. Do you believe that? Because here's what I think. I think sometimes when it comes to sin, we look at it and we've kind of tweaked our idea of sin. We don't like to call it a sin because we know sin is rebellion and offensive to God. And so we don't really want to call it that. So we say stuff like this, well, I made a bad choice. Or, well, that was a bad decision. No, that was sin. And if you don't know Christ, people repent for salvation. And those who do know Christ, we repent to restore and to grow in our relationship with Christ. And I love it because here's John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness saying, Repent! Meaning, turn from your sin and turn to God. Now, I'm just gonna tell you something and then I'm gonna move off of real quick. That's probably a message I could stand up here for five minutes every week and say it, drop the mic, walk away, because all of us need it, right? Every one of us in the room who are believers or non believers, we loaded our lives down with sin and rebellion. And every day of every moment, we need to have a heart that says, I need to repent of the sin that's in my life so I can grow with my Lord. That was John's message. He said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want to tell you about that just for a minute because I said this when we first started the series. You will notice Matthew never says the kingdom of God. And here's why Matthew, being a Jew, writing to Jews, knew the name of God was sacred. Yahweh was a name that you didn't speak. In fact, and you can go back and you can Google this, that when they were, when they were, tra- scribes were writing the Old Testament, that when they wrote the name Yahweh, they would have to throw a pen away, go cleanse themselves, get a new pen, write the name Yahweh, throw it away, and go cleanse themselves and come back. That's how holy the name of God was. That when you spoke it or you wrote it, there was reverence for it. So he never said the name of God. He said heaven. Now, what is he referring to? The kingdom of God, but he says the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean when he says the kingdom of heaven? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, that phrase in the Greek, literally means the reign and rule of the Father, the reign and rule of God. So he's saying this, I want you to repent, I want you to turn from your sin, and I want you to turn to God because the perfect reign and rule of God is here right now he's here. And who was John talking about? Who is he talking about? Jesus, right? Can you imagine the joy he must have felt to preach that message? Repent. I want you to turn from sin, and I want you to turn to God, because the one who embodies and personifies the perfect will and, and the perfect heart of the Father, he's here. So Repent. And then another thing you notice in the passages, that those who came and confessed their sins, those who repented of their sins, John baptized them. Now, I want you to be clear about this, that John baptized those who had admitted their sin, confessed their sin, and repented of their sin, and then John would baptize them. Those that had said, I need to turn from sin and turn to God, he baptized those people. Here's why that's a big point. Because even here, Baptism was an outward expression of what had already happened in their heart. Even here, when John would take them into the Jordan, it wasn't to wash their sins away. It wasn't to cleanse them of their sins. It was a statement that I have been forgiven. I've confessed my sin. I'm right before the Lord. And now I'm turning to you. It's a picture of outwardly of what's already happened inwardly in their life. And so that was John's role. Now let's jump to the baptism of Jesus because you need that background because when we get in here it's going to make a little more sense. And John chapter Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Here we go. Verse 13 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, "I need to be baptized by you and do not come to, and you come to me." But Jesus answered him, "Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven. Can you imagine that moment? If you're the sinner standing in line, and you're like, that dude's kind of interesting, he's kind of cool, and then heaven opens up, and a voice comes, I might want to know what this guy's all about, right? I mean, the voice of heaven comes, and he says, this is my beloved son, with whom I am what? Well pleased. Now, when you look at the baptism of Jesus, there's some things I want you to notice. There's no points in your handout, because I just want you to think about what I'm saying and write down what God wants you to write down. But one thing I want you to notice this is that Jesus came to John to be baptized. Now, I don't want you to miss that because when you think about that, I have questions. Do you have questions? I have questions. And I find myself sometimes when I'm studying, I got a lot more questions than sometimes I get answers. But here's one of my questions. Why would Jesus participate in a baptism that was a baptism for sinners when he's perfect. You ever thought about that? I mean, the ones that John were baptizing are the people who repented of their sin, confessed their sin, and now they're baptized as a demonstration of that. Why in the world would Jesus be baptized with a sinner's baptism when Jesus was perfect? Amen? Do you have that question too? Amen? And here's my second question. Why in the world would the Son of God be baptized by a sinner himself, John. Was John worthy to baptize Jesus? No. So why? Now, to answer those questions, we kind of get into some things here. Look with me in verse 14, because this is interesting. Verse 14 says this. John, after Jesus came to him, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Now, that phrase uh, that phrase here that says, uh, would have been prevented. In the Greek language, it's in the imperative, which means this. He tried over and over and over again to stop Jesus. That when Jesus says, John, I need you to baptize me. Over and over and over again, John goes, nope. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Jesus. I know you want me to do this, Jesus, but, but I don't need to do this, Jesus. You got this thing backwards, right? I'm baptizing people who've repented of sin. You're perfect. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. You've got this thing back. You see what I'm talking about here? You've got this thing backwards. Now, it's interesting if you read verses seven through 10, uh, John the Baptist refuses to baptize the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of their lack of repentance. And here he refuses to baptize Jesus because of his lack of sin, because he's perfect. And John just says, Hey, listen, Jesus, here's the deal I'm unworthy. In fact, if you were back up to verse 10, he says, the one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals, right? I mean, Jesus is so much God, I'm not even worthy to tie his dirty, filthy shoes. That's how unworthy I am. Jesus, you got this thing backwards, man. I can't baptize you. I need you to baptize me. I'm the sinner, not you. Are you getting the picture here what's going through John's heart right now? Can you imagine that? If you got it, say, I got it. Man, I'm telling you, if I'm John and I'm just baptizing the sinners, and here comes Jesus, I'm going, uh uh-oh, and then he asks me to baptize him. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're not a sinner. I'm the sinner. Would you baptize me? No, John. And then look what happens here. This turns the whole thing around, verse 15, because Jesus responds, and he says this, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It's interesting, this is the first recorded words we have of Jesus since he was 12 years old. First recorded words. 18 years of silence, and then Jesus speaks. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said. Let's just leave this verse up here for a minute. Jesus, did he at any level deny that John was unworthy? No. At any level, did he deny that John was a sinner who needed to be baptized by him? No? Anywhere here do you see that Jesus said, you're wrong, I am a sinner? Did Jesus, did Jesus anywhere deny that he was sinless? No. But here's what Jesus did say. John, we're going to do this, and I'm going to tell you why we're going to do it. To fulfill all righteousness. In other words, John, we're going to do this because this is the right thing to do. Because you don't understand something, John. What I'm about to do is going to paint a picture that you just don't get right now. What I'm going to do, John, is going to set a world in motion and bring understanding, it's going to reveal mysteries of my kingdom that you won't get in the moment, John. But we're going to do this, John, because it's the right thing to do. See, Jesus understood something that we now know 2,000 years post-resurrection, since he lived, died, and rose. Here's what we know, that baptism for Jesus was a picture of his mission. His mission was to come and to identify with sinners, right? His mission was to come and to embrace and identify. I challenge you to read the Gospels and not find story after story after story where Jesus went and he hung out with who? Who would he hang out with? The elite of the elite, right? Those who were religiously on top. No, no. Who did he hang out with? The tax collectors, the sinners, the adulterers, those that had been divorced 17 million times. I mean, he, had been, he hung out with the nobodies because he came to identify with sinners. John, you don't get this, but I'm just telling you my baptism, because guess what, John? Here's a long line of sinners lined up who've repented, waiting to be baptized, and I want them to know that I identify with them. Is that powerful? Man, it's powerful. John, we're gonna do this because it's right. You don't have to get the whole picture, John, but on one level, it's a picture of my mission. On another level, it's a picture of my path. It's a picture of the path I'm going to go, because when I'm baptized, it's a picture of what? What's baptism a picture of? You're buried in the likeness of his death, and we're raised to walk in newness of life, right? It's a picture of death and resurrection. John, you don't understand this right now, but if we're going to do this because it's right, because this paints a picture of my mission, but it also paints a picture of my path, John. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay dead, because three days later, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back like you've never seen me before. And this world's going to be turned upside down. John, I know you don't get it, buddy. But we're going to do this thing because it's the right thing to do. John, I know you don't understand it, but we're also going to do this not because it's the right thing to do. But also, John, this also is going to be a picture for those that want to follow me, what it means to be right with God. People are going to look at this, John, as a demonstration, and they're going to understand what it means to be right with God. That there must be something in their life that dies. Now listen to me. Please hear me this morning. We cannot come to Christ in our own arrogance, in our own, uh, we we can't come to God on our own terms. If we come to faith in Christ, here's what had to happen. Some part of you had to die. You had to die to the old self and become a new creation and creature in him. Amen? And so he said, listen, John, I know you don't get it, bro, but I do. And we do too, don't we? We understand that Jesus' baptism Is a picture of his mission. It is a picture of the path he would go down, but it's also a picture of what we must do to be right with God. We must die so that we can be raised with a new life in Christ. But there's one more thing about baptism that's so important that John didn't get. This baptism was going to launch a ministry of redemption. This baptism was the birthing place and the launching point for Jesus to do his work. So he says, listen, John, man, I know you don't get this, But we're going to do it because it's right. And you don't understand it all, John. You don't see the big picture, but I do. Because my my baptism is going to tell the world about my mission. It's going to tell the world about the path I had to go down. It's going to tell the world about what they must do to be right with me. And it's going to tell the world that when you participate in this, it is your launching point to do ministry for my kingdom. John, you don't get it. but We're still going to do it, bro. You see that in the passage now? You see that? And then look what happens. John didn't say anything, right? It's like, all right. And so here we go. Verse 16 says this. It says, then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. There are four things that happened when Jesus were baptized and I want you to write these down. Now, as you think about baptism, I want to kind of take that word for a minute. It says Jesus was baptized. That word is the Greek word baptizo and it means to be immersed. Okay, now I, I, that's, that's not Doug's take on the word, that is the Greek word, that is the, that baptizo, and when you look it up, it means to be immersed. It means to be saturated. It means to be covered with. So that's why as a church, when we baptize, we baptize people all the way down. I've had people ask about, you know, about sprinkling and all that kind of stuff. Listen, all I'm going to say is this. The word is baptizo. It means to be immersed. That's what we do. We believe that's biblical. And so Jesus baptized, and four things happen in his baptism. Here's the first one. When he was baptized, it says immediately, let's go back to verse 16 if we could. Immediately when he was baptized, he did what? He got up from the water. Immediately. Now you say, well, Doug, that makes a lot of sense here. You know, he's baptized, naturally he's going to stand up. No, no, no. In the Greek language, it implies an urgency that he sprang up from the water. Meaning he was so ready to do his ministry and to get going and launching what he was going to do. He was ready to launch this ministry of redemption. So immediately he got out of the water. And then secondly, here's what happened. It said that all the heavens opened up, right? Look at that. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. Now, some translators really wrestle with this. When it says open to him, some think, well, maybe Jesus is the only one that saw into heaven. That's not what the phrase means at all. It just means that because Jesus was baptized, immediately because of what he'd done, heaven opened up. And what did he see? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, real quickly, I just want to say something to you that's so brilliant that we need to all write this down now because it came from me because it comes from the passage here it is when jesus was baptized all the heavens opened up and it was sending this message to all the world now heaven is open for you too no longer do you need a priest no longer do you have to go do the sacrificial thing there's going to come a day when you can have direct access to the father isn't that good news and we see this come to fruition, to full term on the cross, right? You remember what happened on the cross? The moment that Jesus died, you remember what happened in the temple? The veil of the temple was ripped, was torn from, from uh, top to bottom. It was torn all the way down, and there was total access into the Holy of Holies. Now listen, here's why that is so important for us. Because in that day and time, you had to go to a priest to have access to God. Only the priest could enter the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus' death on the cross, it solidified that we now have access to him. This veil was not what you had. This temple, this curtain was not what you had in your household. It wasn't that little thing you have over your window. Most scholars believe that the veil that covered the Holy of Holies was a veil that weighed hundreds of pounds, took anywhere from 10 to 12 men to establish this, and it was gigantic. And the fact that at his death, it rips in the message to the world. We now have access to the Father. And we see the beginning of it at the baptism of Jesus. The heavens open up. Listen to me. I don't care what your story is. I don't care where you've been, how bad you've done. I don't care any of that stuff. What I know is this, is that if you will come to him by faith, heaven is open for you too. You have access to the Father today. Now, before you clean your life up, I mean, not after you clean it up, but before you clean it up, you don't have to clean this mess up you call your life, you can come to him right now the way that you are. So the heavens open up. And then the third thing that happens is this, the Spirit descended like a dove on him. Now, if you're a first century Jew, you understood what the dove meant you understood that the dove and the sacrificial system represented sacrifice. And the dove was a sacrifice not for the wealthy. The wealthy would have sacrificed an unblemished bull, something of great value. But if you were the average Joe, or if you were the impoverished person of the day, at best you could have done was go buy you a little dove and take it to be sacrificed. And so the first century Jew would have understood that this dove was a picture of the sacrifice of the average common Jewish person. Isn't this a beautiful foreshadowing that Jesus' death on the cross was not for the elite, the who's who, but for the world? For those that are down and out? For those that are distraught? For those who have rebelled, I mean, the the beautiful foreshadowing that Jesus coming to this earth wasn't just for the who's who of the religious system. It was for the average man. His death on the cross was for the entire world. Amen? The entire world. And so they would have understood that. This spirit descending on him was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that was to come. This spirit descending on him is a coronation of the father to the son through the Holy Spirit, that this is the king. The Holy Spirit is a picture of anointing, that this is the king who has come. And then the fourth thing that's happened is this, and I love this. It says the father spoke, and here's what he said. This is my beloved son. Now if Paul's there, here's what he's saying. This is not my creation. This is part of me. This wasn't one of the trees I created. This wasn't one Adam and Eve where I breathed life into them. This is my son. This is not a bull. This is not a dove. This is my son. This is my son who's come. And guess what? I'm so pleased with him. I'm going to tell you, I had a dad who I love. He passed away be three years ago, May 28th this year. There's not many days I don't wake up, wish I could call my dad. He, just, he was an awesome guy. But I remember as a kid, my dad worked for the railroad. And so my dad, the words, I love you and I'm proud of you, didn't come out a whole lot. You may have a dad like that. Now, the beautiful thing is when he got older, I tell my boys all the time, that's not the same guy I grew up with. Because when they come grandparents, they're like all nice and loving and caring. That's not the same guy that was in my household. So you know what I'm talking about. But I remember the days of my life when my dad would put his hands on both of my shoulders and say, son, I am so proud of you. I mean, I could have run through a wall right then, right? Because what son doesn't want to know his dad's proud of him? And from the heavens, the voice of God says, I'm proud of him. The actual translation, please, means to delight in. It means I find my delight in my son. Now, what would the father find delight in the son? He would have found delight in how he lived his life. Amen. He would have found that. But you know what he also would have been pleased with? Not just how he lived his life. Not just how he treated people. But eventually, and this is hard for us to think about, but God the father was pleased with the sacrifice the son was going to make. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, they would bring all these animals and they would try to sacrifice them to God. And let's just be honest, none of them, were totally pleasing to God. All of them were blemished at some level. But only one sacrifice totally satisfied the wrath of God. And what was that sacrifice? His son. And he was saying, you know, I am pleased with him. not Not just I'm pleased with your life, I'm pleased with where you're going, I'm pleased with how you're treating people, but I am just pleased with you, period. Everything you're going to do, everything my son does, from who he heals, who he touches, what he teaches, even to the point of his death, I am pleased with that. That satisfies me. What a moment when the father spoke. And so when you look at the baptism of Jesus, I want you just to think about it. Here's this John guy baptizing people who have confessed their sin. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, bro, I want you to baptize me. And John's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And Jesus is like, yes, you are. And here's why I want you to do it. Because it's the right thing to do. And then John baptizes Jesus and all these crazy things happen. He springs up from the water. The heavens open up. The dove descends and anoints him as the crowning king, the, coronates him as the king. And then the voice of God speaks and says, this is my boy. This is the flesh of my flesh. This is my son. And I find my delight in him. His life, his death, and eventually his resurrection. I find my delight. This is not just a guy getting dunked on a day. There's way more than what meets the eye here. And so there's four things I want you to write down. It's at the very bottom of your listening, God. As we close today, here's the first one. In Jesus' presence, we are all unworthy. All unworthy. Do you believe that? John understood that when Jesus came on the scene, at best, he was unworthy. And I'm just telling you, for all of us in the room today, on our best day with our best attitude and our best clothing and our best Bible that we carry and our best smile, what, the best we have is still so unworthy of what we've received. See, when I understand that, it changes how I want to live my life. So when I understand that I'm unworthy, it changes how I want to live. Now I want to say, because I'm unworthy and you still have done this for me, I'm on board, I'm with you, I want to live for you. And see, some of you in your room today, you know you were unworthy. There's been a moment in your life where you trusted Jesus. And I just want to say this to you. Are you living your life like that? Are you living your life making him known? Or do we spend all of our time asking about what we want? We treat Jesus like a genie in the bottle. And we need to stop that and start living our life and making much of him. See, in Jesus' presence, we are all unworthy. Secondly, I want you to know this. Jesus came to identify with sinners. It says this in 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? He who is perfect and sinless bore my sin and your sin and the world's sin so those who put their faith in him one day could stand right before God because of what he had done for us. He who knew no sin became sin on the cross so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Isn't that good news? And don't we take it for granted? I mean, don't we look at that and go, oh, that's sweet, but we still go out and sin. We still are going to do the same nonsense we do. Listen, it should change the way that we live. See, Jesus came to identify with sinners so he could liberate sinners. And that's what he did. Third thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus' sacrifice would be pleasing to the Father. I know that's hard to think about that, but it's true. The sacrifice of his Son was pleasing because it brought redemption to the world. And here's why I brought that point out is because of this. No matter how messed up you think you are, when we put our faith into a holy God that Jesus died on a cross and rose from again, guess what? Not only does he save us from our sins, but listen, then the Father is now pleased with us. Did you know that? Not pleased because how good I think I am, but pleased because I've given my life to Christ. Same thing's true for you. Last thing I want you to write down. Here we go. Baptism, and this is the most important point maybe. Baptism isn't important. It is imperative for a believer. It's not just important. It is imperative in the life of a believer. Not because it dictates our salvation, because there's nothing about baptism that saves us, but because Jesus thought baptism was so crucial. See, for Jesus, it was a launching point into his ministry. For us... It is our public profession of faith in him. Did you know that? That when you know Christ is your savior and you're baptized and you go down in that water, it's a picture of how you died to your old self and you're raised again in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. It is a picture of what's happening. It's an hour demonstration of what's already happened in your heart and in your life. And maybe many of you don't know that, but the point is this, is that when you're baptized, it's the launching point for us to say, I identify With Him. See, in the first century, the public profession of faith that people would make was baptism. Baptism didn't save them. But baptism was that moment where people said, I'm following Christ. From now on, it's that first step of obedience to being a follower of Christ. It's saying to the world, I now belong to Him, and I want you to know that. Now, here's why that's important for us today. There's some of you in the room today, and more than anything else, what you need it's to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I don't know that I could paint any better picture for any of us in the room what Jesus has done for us than through this story. that Jesus coming wasn't just so he'd get dunk so he could say he get dunk. It was a picture of the path he was going to go down, His death and his resurrection. It's a picture of what we must do to be in right standing with God. We must die so that He can give us life. We must surrender our lives. Tim, and for some of you, what you need to do today is to sprint down that aisle and say, today, I want to give my life to Christ. Today, I want to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And then for others in the room, now I want you to hear me. Please don't miss this. For some of you others in the room, you've already made that decision. But one thing you've not done for some of you, you've never followed in believer's baptism. You've never gone into the baptism waters and say, I want to declare to the world, I belong to him. You've never done that. Today, you can do that. Today I'm asking you to do that. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you've never walked that out and said, I want to be baptized. Well, listen, today's your day. We've got a t-shirt waiting for you. We've got a towel. We've even got shorts. You may say, well, I'm ill-prepared. I came prepared for you because I don't want one more day to go by of you living in disobedience. I want you to be obedient. Take that first step and join us today in baptism. Now, I know some of you would say this, well, Doug, I've had this question many, many times in my ministry. Well, Doug, I hear you, You know, but I, I, I went to church when I was this age, and I, I got baptized or whatever this age, but I really didn't find Christ until I was like 20 or 25. Awesome. Here's what I would say to you, because they asked me this question. Do I need to be baptized again? Baptism should always happen on the right side of the cross, meaning baptism comes after you truly accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, if it happens beforehand, you know, whatever. But it happens after. That's the obedience I'm talking about. Some of you I have many people talk about that come from different backgrounds. Well, I was sprinkled as a child. Well, listen, most times sprinkled as a child is almost what we would call baby dedication, our parent dedication. That's wonderful for people to go, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to say that I'm going to raise my child in the God home. And there's nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. Biblical baptism, believer's baptism, what this Bible teaches comes post-salvation. And so I know some of you, you may be wrestling with those things. Can I just ask you to do me something really crazy today? Can I ask you something? Yes? I'm going to ask you to do what's right today and ask your heart to catch up. Because the right thing to do if you've trusted Christ is to join me in the baptismal waters and say, I identify with him today. And if you've got questions, we'll answer them. But today's your opportunity as we have baptism Sunday. So I'm going to ask you this. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Today we're going to have an invitation that's a little bit different than normal. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed. And every eye closed. I really don't want you to look around. I'm just going to pray for us. And then I'm going to give us some continuing instruction. So every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to pray. And after I'm done praying, I just want you to stay standing. And I want to, get, I want to give you some instructions. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for today. And God, I thank you as we look at the baptism of Jesus. We learn so much. At that baptism, there's so much more there than the meets the eye. It wasn't just about him coming and, and just being baptized to launch a ministry. No, no, no. He came and was baptized to identify with sinners. He was perfect. He didn't need to be baptized. But he said, I want to identify with him. I want these guys on this line to know and these gals in this line to know I'm one of them. And I thank you, Lord, there's was baptized that paint a picture for us of the path he was going to go down, how he was going to die but yet rise again. And I thank you, Lord, that as we look at baptism, it reminds us of the path we must go down to be right with you. We must die to ourselves. We must turn from our sin, turn to Jesus. So God, I pray for those today that need to trust you as their Savior, that in a moment when I say amen and give instructions, they would make their way down this aisle and they would say yes today to you. They would confess their sin and say yes, I trust you as my Savior. And then, God, I pray for those who have trusted you as Savior but have not been baptized. They've never taken that step of obedience. That today, they would drop all the things that hold them down, the weights that bind them, and they would say, Today, I want the world, I want the people in this church to know that I identify with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. So, God, would you lead us today? Would you move in hearts only as you can? And as people feel the need to respond, would that happen? I pray, God, that you would bind any fear that's in the room and that you would give the people a spirit of courage. We love you, Lord. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now here's what we're going to do. The band's just going to pray. We're going to do something we've never played. We're going to do something we've never done before, and here's what it is. If you're here today and you need to trust Christ, or if you're here today and you need to follow in Believer's Baptism right now before we sing a note of a word, I'm going to ask you to step out of your aisles and come right forward right now. Everybody that needs to do that, you just come forward right now. We're going to have people talk with you, counsel with you. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior, if you're coming because you want to be baptized, I'm going to ask you to step out right now and just come forward. You just step out and come on forward. I know there's those that are waiting this. We're ready for this to happen. You just step out and you just come on forward. Just make your way forward. There you go. Just right here in the middle if you would. Just come on forward. Those of you that are ready to be baptized, just come right here forward. Accept Christ. Just come on out. I know there's some of you. Come on. Come on, anybody else, just keep on coming. Just keep on coming. If you know that today that you need to baptize, following believers baptism, you've never done it. Today's that window for you. Take a step of obedience. If you need to accept Christ, this is it today. Just a few more moments. If you need to do that, would you do it right now? Come on forward. Amen. Amen. Well, real quickly, let's just celebrate with those who've come this morning. Let's just celebrate with them. Yeah. We're going to ask these guys if you would just take them on out the curtain there. They're going to counsel with you and prepare them for baptism. If you guys just want to slide out there, and we're going to continue to sing and worship. And if you're a follower of Christ, this altar is always open. Maybe you don't have the urgency in your life you should have. This altar is open for you. And so let's celebrate and let's worship together.